I was uh, thinking about, I should probably start, actually I'm going to start this message um, by just letting the people who haven't been here know, um, most of you do, that I'm in a series, I'm in this long-term series <laughs> that's going on and on and on, because there's so much, there's so much to this message, and I honestly uh, am convinced that this is one of the most critical messages uh, that we need in our foundation as believers in Christ. And, and I can say this based off of Scripture. Um, hopefully, maybe by the end of the series, you regulars will know this by heart. <laughs> but this is a Scripture from Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Okay? And I'm just going to read it. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ. These are the elementary school Christianity 101 teachings of Jesus Christ. Okay, and be taken forward to maturity. So these are critical for us to grow in maturity as in our walk with Jesus. Not laying again the, again the foundation. And these are foundation, again, foundational teachings of Jesus Christ. So there's five things here. So the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death, the faith of God, instruction about cleansing rites, some versions say baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection from the dead, and eternal judgment. Now, I have eternal judgment here, uh, for those of you who, who are new, because that's really what we've been focusing on. More specifically, it's broader than that. We've been talking about the importance of adopting an eternal perspective. And so we've been spending some time, uh, in January, we spent some time talking about eternity. Like, what does that even mean forever and ever and ever and ever? But essentially, we've been, I've been trying to hit home how important it is that we consider eternity not once every 10 years, but like every day of our life, ideally, you know, because every single thing we do in this life, every day of our lives is impacting eternity, whether we know it or not, whether we acknowledge it or not. And so everything we do, I'm talking, and I'm going to get more into this later, our thoughts, everything has eternal repercussions that we can't even fathom now. And it's all over the Bible. That's why I'm spending so much time on this. First of all, because the tragedy is I believe that this is neglected for the most part in the church. You don't hear about this stuff much, unfortunately. Here and there you do, but I'm talking about there's so much in the Bible on this that we can spend weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks, and I'm, I don't even know how uh, many more weeks because we're, we're going on to talking about the judgment of believers, which is probably the most pertinent and relevant to us all. Okay, so we spent time talking about eternal punishment. We spent some time. Now we're going to spend time talking about us as believers. When we stand before the Lord face to face, we want to be prepared. We don't want to go there ignorant going our whole lives without thinking of these things, because in all honesty, these things are, what are what's going to count when we're face-to-face -face with the Lord. The biggest tragedy would be standing before the Lord one day and Him saying, you're saved, but your life was wasted. Everything's being burnt up. Now, Probably next week I'm going to talk more about that. But we can actually lose everything we work for in this life if we don't build properly. It's, it says that in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 15. We're going to go in detail in that in future weeks. The point for now is that how we conduct ourselves every day of our lives matters. 
it matters. Even though even the mundane things we do matter in eternity. And honestly, the most important day of our lives is that day when we meet him face to face. That is the most important day of our entire lives. It would be a tragedy going there unprepared. And and then the good news is we don't have to be. All over the Bible on how we prepare for that day. And that's why I'm spending time on this so that we will, my heart is we are all prepared and we can all stand before him with confidence as we all receive a rich welcome into his eternal kingdom. Well done, good and faithful servant. Right? We all want to hear that. You've been faithful with few things. I'm going to make you master over many things. I'm going to give you authority over many things is what Jesus says. All that to say, now that we've shifted, so last time, three weeks ago or so, I talked about heaven. And for those of you who weren't here, and even those of you who were, I'm going to just give a really brief, 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 brief overview of what we talked about, really brief, just to get a grid for what we're going on to now, talking about the judgment seat of Christ. So I'm just going to go over this quick. This is just a neat little graph I made last time that didn't work. And then I figured out a loophole to get it work. I have to save it as a picture. But anyway, so, th- so we talked about the great, this is the chronology of the end of the age, the age to come, okay? So biblically speaking, I know there's a lot of controversy. There doesn't really need to be because there's some things that are absolutely clear. Now, there, of course, there's some things that aren't. And those, that's the, you know, kind of stuff that people argue about, you know, and they're still arguing until the cows come home. It'll never end. But some stuff is really clear, okay? So the first thing that's really clear is there's going to be a great tribulation. At some point, the dead in Christ will raise, uh, and believers will be caught away uh, with Jesus, okay? So we're going to be raised from the dead. Now, this is the controversy whether that happens before, midway, or after the great tribulation. Doesn't matter. I mean, it does. (laughs) It does matter. But let me put it this way. Regardless of when it happens, we need to be ready, okay? I think it's safer to assume it's going to happen after because those who are so convinced that it's happening before, if they go through the tribulation, they're going to be like, oh my goodness, and they're going to be in confusion and, and probably get offended at God that they didn't get raptured. So anyway, but, but that's, that's another story for another day. I'm not, I don't really, for in all intents and purposes, don't want to get into that. Like I have my own opinions. doesn't really matter, okay, other than be ready. So at the end of the tribulation, the man of sin, the Antichrist, will gather the world and make a war against Jesus and the uh, resurrected saints who come back. In one day, Jesus will defeat the Antichrist, false prophet, and the, um, all the nations that will gather at war in one day. So, the, so that's Revelation 19. I have all the addresses here, 19.11 to 21. It talks about that. Then Jesus sets up his rule on earth for a thousand years. That's Revelation 21 to 6. That's the millennial reign of Christ. Okay, so then we're going on to the millennium, millennial reign of Christ. For a thousand years, Jesus has come to earth. Now, this is the interesting thing. So he binds the devil for a thousand years, okay, into the abyss. During that, and that's Revelation 21 to 3. During that time, people who share in the first resurrection will rule and reign with Christ for that thousand years. That's in Revelation 20, verse 4 and 5. It actually talks about the first resurrection, and it says, blessed are those who are worthy and are, have, are t- participate in the first resurrection. So there's actually more than one resurrection. Those who are counted worthy are the ones who are going to rule and reign with Christ. Okay? This is interesting. And you can look at that. It says it twice in that uh, portion of Scripture, Revelation 20, verse 4 and 5. We want to be among those who are counted worthy to rule and reign with Christ, don't we? 
Yeah, and that's part of this series, what I'm talking about. Depending how we live now is going to determine whether we're counted worthy to be part of the first resurrection. Okay, so when the thousand years are over, Satan's going to be released from the prison and will go out and deceive the nations. That's Revelation 27 to 10. The devil will try to make war, but God's fire will devour him and he'll be thrown in the lake of fire. And then the great white throne judgment will occur to judge everyone. That's Revelation 20, 11 to 15. Now, the reason I'm saying that, then I have the great white throne judgment. That is a demarcation point in history. After that, there's going to be a whole new heavens and a whole new earth, and that's the age to come. So that great white throne is an important part of everyone's destiny because someday we're going to have to stand before the Lord and give an account. Now, I want to say this, and I hope it doesn't cause confusion, and I don't think it needs to. Lots of people believe there's two separate judgment seats, one for believers and one for unbelievers. Now, the reason they think that is because um, obviously our lives are going to be judged to determine whether we're going to be part of the first resurrection and reigning with Christ as believers, right? So, so a lot of people believe that, and we're going to talk about this today, that the judgment seat of Christ for believers happens sometime uh, before we are resurrected. Does that make sense? The great white throne judgment is for everyone else. And I could see why people believe that, because if you read Revelation 21 through, or 11 through 15, um, it talks about how, if you remember, Hades and death and all of those who were dead are going to be judged then, and then they're going to be thrown into the lake of fire if their names aren't uh, written in the book of life. By implication, that's people who are unbelievers. But I think my opinion is because there's two resurrections, it's also those who are being raised who didn't make the first resurrection, that, that's when their judgment is. But either way, it doesn't matter. Even if all of us are, are, that's the throne room of Christ for all of us, whether there's two judgments or not, okay? I'm just letting you know what a lot of people believe about it. So after the great throne judgment, there's a new heaven, new earth. God purges and cleanses the first heaven, the first earth, creates a new heaven, a new earth. I got the scriptures there. The new Jerusalem will come down from heaven to earth, and God will dwell with his people forever. The key point to all this, and I just want to give you a framework, that uh, how we live in this temporal life is going to determine our positions, rank, authority, and rewards forever. Forever. Now, we're going to be talking about this for weeks to come. Because, like I said, I don't want any of us to be unprepared. I want to talk about what we're going to be judged on, how we get the rewards, how we get the authority, um, it's all determined how we live now, and it's all throughout the Bible. And so I just want to take weeks so that we all have a, have a foundation in this, and we don't f- meet the Lord one day totally ignorant and have everything burnt up. So this is, a, this is a, a scripture that's kind of intimidating. So regardless of when the judgment occurs, this is Hebrews 9.27, and it's appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment So regardless of when the judgment happens, it's happening. And we are all facing the Lord someday and giving account for how we lived our lives. Okay, so that's what I'm talking about today. The judgment seat of Christ. And then for weeks to come, like I said, we're going to just really focus on this. So we have a firm foundation in all of this when we meet the Lord face to face. So each believer, just to give you sort of an intro, is going to stand before Jesus to give an account of what we did with what God gave us in this life. 
So it's, 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 a, it's important that we steward what God's given us, right? And we probably, and we're going to talk about this in the future, all know Matthew 25, the uh, parable of the talents, that God gave one person five talents, one person two, one person one talent, and it says according to their abilities. So God gives us, we, we're not equal, quote unquote, meaning God gives some people more to steward than others. That's why it's not wise to judge, because we honestly don't know who's the five-talent person, who's the one-person, two-person talent. We don't know. So it doesn't make sense for us to judge, oh, like, you know, that person's so spiritual. It's just because God gave that person five talents for whatever reason. It doesn't mean they're necessarily stewarding properly. Maybe they're only stewarding half of what he gave them, right? And so the point is, whatever we're entrusted with personally is what we have to give an account with. God gives each a specific assignment based on the capacities that he gives them physically, mentally, emotionally, financially, and in their life circumstances. God takes it all into account. So he doesn't actually, he doesn't actually expect a person who's given one talent to be a five-talent person, right? He takes it all into account. The judgment seat of Christ is the great equalizer. Whether you're a pauper or a prince, when we meet him face to face one day, we're all on the same playing ground because it doesn't matter. What matters is did you steward, whether you're a millionaire or in poverty, what I entrusted you with? That's all that matters. And depending how we steward it is going to determine, like I said, the pauper could become the prince forever, whereas the prince could become the, not the pauper, but the least in the kingdom of heaven forever, depending how they steward it. Okay, so the point is we're not accountable for what we, have, uh, we do not have. And, and I hope that brings kind of freedom to people because the, the, it's kind of sad, but we often compare ourselves to others, right? Like, why does this person get this platform and is preaching to millions of people and whatever, right? We often compare ourselves to others. But God, it's like that's irrelevant because... Maybe God hasn't called you to that, and he's called you just to steward this home group that you're helping with, or whatever, right? It, it, so what's important for us is to determine, to ask the Lord what our callings are, what he's called us and entrusted us with, so that we can steward it well. And we're going to talk all about that in the weeks to come. So here's some scriptures uh, just talking about the throne room of uh, Christ, judgment seat of Christ, rather. Romans fourteen ten to 12. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? He's talking to believers. Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we all, we will all stand before God's judgment seat. All of us. He's talking about believers. It's written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me and every tongue will acknowledge God. Isaiah 45, 23. So then, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. It's uh, pretty intense. Here's another one that I've quoted a lot in the past, 2 Corinthians 5. I actually have verse 9 through 11 here. So we make it our goal to please him. Talking about God, of course. Whether we're at home in the body or away from it, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one of us may receive what's due us for the things done in the body, whether good or bad. Isn't that interesting? You don't hear many people talking about the good or bad. (laughs) You hear people focusing on the good. But honestly, um, actually, I don't know if I want to get into this now because I'm going to get into this later. The point is, 
One of the biggest tragedies, and I mentioned to this earlier too, would be standing before the Lord one day with regret that we didn't live our lives fully for him. Um, I'll tell this story now. I was going to tell it next week, but uh, how many of you have heard of Mike Bickle? Great, most of us. For those of you who haven't, he's, he's uh, the head of the International House of Prayer in Kansas City, um, pretty well-known guy for different things, but that's probably the most uh, why he's the most well-known. But anyway, he had this encounter in 1978. He was 23, young young guy, and he had never had a supernatural encounter before in his entire life. And one night he's sleeping, and he, out of nowhere, all of a sudden is before the Lord Jesus Christ, and he said the Lord had this. Uh, he said it wasn't quite stern, but it was, wasn't, it was like really serious, really serious, right? Like it wasn't mean, but it was just like, like, you know, whatever. And this is all the Lord said. Mike Bickle didn't, he was like, what's going on, right? He's before the Lord. And the Lord said, you're saved, but your life was wasted. And Mike Bickle said he was shocked, beyond comprehension. He said that to this day was the most painful experience of his entire life. That moment, saved, but your life was wasted. Right? So like I said, he was shocked. Because in his mind, he was going for the Lord like to the nth degree. He was fasting. He was praying. He was leading campus meetings. He was just going all for the Lord. Like at that time, he said in his life, he was reading biographies of like, you know, J. Hudson Taylor and people who went, you know, gave it all for the Lord and went on missions trips. And, and he was just going for it. And so in his mind, he was just like, no, you've got the wrong person. That can't be me. Right? He, in his mind, was protesting. And he said the Holy Spirit spoke to him and he said, you cannot manipulate the man Christ Jesus. There is nothing you can do to sway his mind or his judgment because he knows everything. Like there's, you cannot manipulate the man Christ Jesus. So Mike quit protesting in his mind and he realized this is it. Like I cannot change the Lord's mind. This is his eternal judgment. So then he said, he's, he, he's like, I'm going to plea with the Lord then. Lord, give me another chance. Because he said he's in pain. Like, like I said, to this day, the most painful experience of his life. He, he, he can't describe the amount of pain he's in at this assessment of his life. Imagine that. Saved, but your life was wasted. And then the Lord spoke to him. The scripture I gave you from Hebrews, I'll just go there. Hebrews 9.27, the Holy Spirit said, it's appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. In other words, that's it. No going back. And he said the, tra- the trauma, the pain he experienced from that was unbelievable. So then he's having this encounter, and then all of a sudden, he w- he, he's in his room weeping. His t-shirt is wet, soaked through with tears, and he's, he's on his knees like five feet from his bed. Like he wakes up and he's like, like he had no idea what happened. And he said the Lord gave him this experience because he didn't want that to be his assessment of him when he meets the Lord one day. He actually gave that to him as an act of mercy 
so that that wouldn't be the assessment of his life. And you know what the Lord told him? He said, if you live this life according to what's acceptable in Western Christianity, that's going to be my assessment of you someday. So Mike said he made it his life ambition for it not to be that way and to go full on for the Lord because he knew if he just did what the regular normal Christian norm is in our culture, that was going to be the assessment. Sobering, isn't it? And he said he thinks, this is like 40 years later, he thinks of that almost daily. Not quite daily, but he said multiple times a week that experience that he had in 1978 because it so marked him. And in the weeks to come, I'm going to be sharing some more stories and testimonies of people who had that experience, who are now in heaven, and, and they said it was the most painful, like you can't even fathom. Imagine standing before the Lord of, after all he's done for us, the pain he went through on the cross, the sacrifice he made, and then us living this life selfishly. And everything we've done is like burnt up. And that's the Lord's assessment. Imagine how horrible that would feel facing the Lord and him saying that of, about you. I can't fathom that. And that's why, that is why I am spending so much time on this so that that won't happen to any of us. Because we're not going to have an excuse. We're going to know, for the most part, from the scripture, what we're being assessed on, and how we can overcome so that we will have a good assessment, okay? So that's my goal, and that's why I'm going to spend so much time on this stuff. Anyway, verse 11, since then we know what it is, what it is to fear the Lord. How many of you have the fear of the Lord now? <laughs> you know that actually that word is terror of the Lord? Sometimes our English translations kind of try and soften it a little bit. Whenever we talk about the judgment seat of Christ, inevitably, and I've talked about this before, we, the, there's often scripturally it has the fear of the Lord connected to it. And this is why, and this is how, actually, if you remember about a month ago, I talked about the fear of the Lord. This is how we stay in the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord helps keep us on the path of life. And this is how, because knowing we have to give an account for everything we do, keeps us in the fear of the Lord so that we actually follow through and do it. If we just focus on grace, 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 God loves us, doesn't matter what we do, then unfortunately a lot of people are going to meet him someday and have that terrible, horrific experience that your life was wasted. Okay, so fear of the Lord is a good thing. So he says, since we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade others what's plain to God, and I hope it's also plain to your conscience. So I have a scripture here. This is just uh, uh, from John 5. I want to show you Jesus is our judge. Yes, he's our bridegroom. Yes, he's our king. He's our judge too, scripturally. And here's just a portion of scripture that says, says this. This is John chapter 5, verse 21 to 22 and 25 to 30. He says, For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even the Son gives life to whom he's pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son. Okay, so Jesus is our judge. Verily, truly, I tell you, time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he's granted the Son also uh, to have life in himself. And he's given him authority to judge because he's the Son of Man. 
Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who, will, uh, who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. This is re- resurrection now. Those who have done what's good will rise to life. Those who've done what is evil will be condemned. Okay, so the point is Jesus is our judge. He's the one who will be assessing our lives when it's all said and done. Okay, so a lot of people quote that scripture from John. This is from John, that he didn't come to condemn the world, but to save the world, which is totally true. But when it also he came to judge at the appointed time, right? So it's both. Now, of course, he wants everyone to be saved. Yeah, that's clear. He, he, want, he, he, right? he so loved the world that everyone would come to the knowledge of the truth and faith in Jesus Christ. With that being said, it doesn't mean everyone's going to be saved, right? Even if we are saved, it doesn't mean that we're going to live our lives for him, right? And that's a key as well. Um, sometimes it's uh, the judgment seat of Christ, and I'll just, I won't bother reading these, but I'll just show it to you. It's called the day or the day of the Lord. There's different names for it, okay? So just so you know, if you're looking into this scripturally, um, it's often referred to the day or that day. And these are just a few that I put up here, but there's a whole bunch. Matthew 7, 22. Many will say to me on that day, remember we talked about this a lot, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this? Anyway, 1 Timothy 1.18, Paul says that he's convinced that God's able to guard what he's entrusted to him until that day, talking about the judgment seat of Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.7.8 talks about how we eagerly wait for the Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He'll keep you firm to the end, so you'll be blameless on the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. So my point is, as you're considering this, as we're looking into this, you'll see that there's different scriptures, and it refers to the same thing in different ways. The terrible day of the Lord is another one. Now, just to give you like a, a grid for this, the word judgment seat in both Romans 14.10 and 1 Corinthians 5.10, those verses I read to you already, talking about the judgment seat of Christ, is, called the, is the Greek word bima, or bema, but I think it's bema. This is a really common word in, in those times, okay? And the reason I'm saying this is because, just to give you an idea of what it is, this is from Strong's Concordance. It's a step... Uh, a, a pace, uh, the step of which a foot covers a foot breadth, a raised place mounted by steps, a platform, a tribune of the official seat of a judge, of the judgment seat of Christ. So this, this just really was the platform in which a judge sat on. We're talking about the courts, but we're also talking about the Olympic Games. When they awarded medals at the Olympic Games, the judge sat on this bema judgment seat. And so it's a really, like I said, really well-known term, even in other places in the scripture. Um, I won't bother going over this, but John 19, 13, it's talking about when Pilate sat on his judgment seat during the trial of Jesus, right? It's, and in Matthew 27, 19, when he was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message, don't have anything to do with this man because I suffered greatly because of this dream I had of him. You guys probably know that, right? Same word, bima. So um, just... Just so you know, that's what the judgment seat, when we're talking about judgment seat of Christ, that's the word that they're using. Now, the word judgment, remember in Hebrews 6, 2, when I said that these are the foundational teachings of Jesus Christ, one of them is eternal judgments, that's the word krima, okay? People have a misconception of what judgment is, and that's why I wanted to talk about this. Judgment isn't always bad. And that's why there's a misconception of people like, God doesn't judge anymore. Um, It's like... What are you talking about? Yeah, he does. It just may, means making a decision. That's really all it means, okay? Whether good or bad. 
So this is from Help's Word Studies. This is just to give you the definition. To distinguish or judge. Judgment emphasizing its results. So this is everlasting damnation or torment for the unredeemed or the eternal benefits that come from the Lord's judgment in favor of the redeemed. So rewards too. We want God's judgments is my point. You know, healing is God's judgment on sickness. If we re-shift uh, 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 our perspective of judgment, we'll actually ask God to judge us. We want him to judge us now so that we don't have to face him without knowing what his assessment of our life's going to be, right? So his judgments are good. And that's a misconception when people are like, Jesus doesn't judge anymore. First of all, that's totally unbiblical, as you guys probably know by now if you've been sitting under these teachings. But secondly, his judgments are awesome. And we actually want his judgments in our life. Okay, and that might sound weird, but I'm telling you, it's, that's true. Praying that regularly is a good thing. So, um, so the results of a judgment dramatically links cause to effect. Indeed, every decision or action we make carries inevitable eternal results. Wow. Every action. Every single action. So basically, a dis- this is a decision resulting from an investigation for or against. That's basically what a judgment is, Okay. So we want, of course, Jesus' judgments of us to be for us, right? We want the eternal rewards. We want the good positions. We want to be close to the Lord. We want, we want it all. And so that's why, you know, if we live our lives according to how God tells us to live our lives, we don't have to be fearful of his coming. We get to be excited when he comes because we're anticipating these amazing rewards he's going to be giving us, Okay. So I want to emphasize the fact, and I have this, I've done this in previous weeks, but I think it's important to, like, you can't overemphasize this. His judgments of us on that day are eternal. And if you remember, I spent two sessions trying to relate to you the weightiness of what eternal means. This means that his judgments on that day are going to last Forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And they're never going to be altered or changed. Ever. So, right, we think of like the prison system. You might come up for parole and they have a chance. But if you, when this happens, when we meet the Lord, never going to change. His assessment of us are going to last forever. And we can't even uh, uh, understand or grasp what eternity looks like. Like forever. Because everything in our realm is temporal. You know, we've only been around as a race, human beings, for 6,000 years, right? Like, forever is unfathomable. So we don't want to go have the assessment of our lives as, like, saved but life wasted, do we? Because how we live now is going to determine, like I said, forever. These are eternal judgments, eternal. So the choice is ours. We can either live our lives for the temporal realm, for the flesh— or for the eternal realm, which is to please the Spirit. You'll notice that dichotomy throughout the New Testament. It's always there, the flesh versus the Spirit, the temporal versus the eternal. And if you sow to please the Spirit, you're going to reap eternal life. You sow to please the flesh, you're going to reap destruction. That's from Galatians 6, verses 8. So we want to live our lives sowing to please the Spirit, not the flesh. So, on that note... Where versus how we spend eternity. Now, I've talked about this before, but I want to talk about it because this is the challenge we have, especially if we come from a Protestant, uh, denom- uh, most of us do come from pro- uh, the Protestant Reformation. Works is like a four-letter word. 
right? Like, works, right? No way. You know, um, the problem with that is works really matter. (laughs) That's the problem. Now, with that being said, if you're working to gain salvation, that is wrong. That is absolutely error. But how we spend eternity is determined by our works. Meaning, like I already said, the rewards we have, the positions we have, how close we're going to be to the Lord for eternity is all dependent on your works. And I'm going to show you some scriptures on that now. But I want to clarify that because, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, I'm not into that work stuff. Okay, what do you mean by that? If you mean you're not trying to gain your salvation by works, then awesome. (laughs) If you mean, right, you're not even ever thinking of your works because you don't think it has an eternal consequence, then you're in error. Clearly in error. So many Christians are unaware that they have to give an account for their life on earth. That's a tragedy. That's a tragedy. Many don't even know this is the truth, what I'm telling you and what I'm spending so much time on. Because people have the misconception, and it's an erroneous misconception, that their future judgment's eliminated because of their salvation, right? Because we've focused so much on your saved by grace, right, not by works, and that's true, that people just assume wrongly that works don't matter. No, works completely matter, completely not for your salvation, but for your eternal, how you're going to uh, spend eternity. So it's true that Jesus' blood cleanses us from sin, okay? And that would have kept us from going to heaven. However, it doesn't exempt us from the judgment of how we conducted ourselves as believers on the earth. Here's just some scriptures. This is Ecclesiastes 3.17. If you remember when I talked about eternity, this is right after he says, you know, we can't fathom eternity, talking about his judgments now. I said to myself, God will bring into judgment both the righteous and the wicked. For there will be a time for every activity, a time to judge every deed. This is at the end. Now, how many of you have read the book of Ecclesiastes? Okay, yeah. It's an interesting book, isn't it? I love how it ends, though. Not to say it's... I lo- this is the last two verses of the book. Okay, this is the conclusion of the matter. This is verse, uh, chapter 12, verse 13 and 14. Now all that has been heard in this book, here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it's good or or evil. Now, notice the connection of the fear of the Lord. Like I said, when we talk about the judgment seat of Christ, there's always this connection to the fear of the Lord. Because that's the truth of the matter, is every single deed we've done is going to be, we have to give an account for it to Jesus Christ someday. Now, this is a, uh, from Romans. This is an interesting one. for uh, Chapter 2, verse 14 and 16. Talking about Gentiles. So indeed, when the Gentiles do, who do not have the law do by very nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they don't have uh, the law. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts. Their conscience is always bearing, also bearing witness, and their thoughts sometimes accusing them, and other times even defending them. This will take place on the day when God judges people's secrets through Jesus Christ as my gospel declares. 
judges people's secrets. Now, contextually, I believe he's talking about the secrets of their hearts and their minds and their thoughts. We're going to talk about this more later. But regardless, God's going to judge your secrets even. It's all going to be laid bare on that day. So this is a key point that I want to hit home that I've been talking about. We're saved as a free gift by faith in Jesus' work, but we're rewarded according to our works. This is eternal judgments. Okay, so yes, you made heaven, hopefully, if you're a believer, but how you're going to live forever in terms when you're in heaven is determined by your works. So our entrance into heaven is not based on our work, but our place in heaven is, if that makes sense. So our works matter. I already said this, but some misunderstand the value of their works because if we're not saved by works, they falsely conclude their works don't matter, and they do. And we're going to be talking about this in the weeks to come. So uh, if you remember this quote I gave you, this is from John Bevere's book, Driven by Eternity. Like I said, I'm like using that as a textbook for this series because it's so good. This is a quote from it. Where we spend eternity is determined by what we do with the cross of Jesus and his saving grace, but how we'll live for eternity in his kingdom is determined by the way we lived our lives here as believers. You see the difference? I hope by saying this in different ways, you understand what I mean by this. I am not preaching your saved by works at all. I am saying your works matter once you're saved, though. They really do. So this we're going to talk about in the weeks to come, too. I'm probably going to spend a whole session on this, knowing me. But um, there's going to be a vast range and degree of eternal rewards. Okay? So our varying rewards include differing measures of God's glory in the areas of our life for eternity, such as our resurrected bodies. We'll talk about that. Uh, you might remember I talked about this last time. 1 Corinthians 15, 41 and 42 talks about how our resurrected bodies are going to vary in glory. Just like the stars and moon and sun have different glories, so are our resurrected bodies, depending how we live. Clothing. <laughs> That's a funny one. We have this misconception that we're all going to just spend eternity in white t-shirts or something. <laughs> like God dropped the ball on clothing. Like He thought everything else, but he kind of forgot about the clothing. No. We're going to have extravagant clothing. And there's scriptures that talk about the kind of clothing we're going to have if we overcome certain things. You just think about Aaron's uh, clothes that he had with jewels representing the different tribes and the colors. And like God, the clothing's going to be a big deal. And actually, we're going to be able to tell how people live their lives depending on their clothing. It's actually going to matter. Crowns, we're not all going to get crowns. Crowns, certain crowns are rewards for specific things we do and overcome. And again, we'll talk about this in the weeks to come. So, clothing, dwelling place, positions of authority, and our relationship with God. All going to vary depending how we live this life. Our eternal rewards and positions given will range from having everything burnt up and lost. This is 1 Corinthians 3.15. All the way to reigning beside Christ for all eternity. Revelation 3.21. And everything in between. So... Um, in the weeks to come, I'm just going to give you a general thing now. Uh, what, so our believers' judgments divide into two main categories. The first one is our involvement in building the kingdom of God according to our calling and our gifts. And we're going to talk a lot about that. The second major category we're going to be judged on is how we, how we build individual lives, including our own. So in, under this one, in regard to other people's lives, 
according to our influence upon them. We're going to be judged on that. In regard to our individual lives, how we cooperated with God's grace in developing Christ's character. Okay, so this is a byproduct in how we respond to his Holy Spirit and his word and what we believe in terms of our obedience to it. Okay, so I just wanted to throw that out now. Like I said, we'll uh, spend more time on each of these in the weeks to come. So I talked about this when I talked about the fear of the Lord, and I wanted to not only remind us of this, but it's so contextually important to talk about this when we're talking about the judgment seat of Christ, because there's scriptures on all of this, and I want us to be aware of it so we're not ignorant of what we're going to be judged on, okay? So Jesus will judge our works, words, thoughts, attitudes, motives, intentions, and secrets, Oh my goodness, (laughs) right? Like it's all being laid bare, all of it. So you might on the outside, like Jesus, Jesus talks about this in Sermon on the Mount. It shouldn't be a surprise, right? You're doing this to get uh, like applaud for applause from men, right? You're giving, you're trumpeting it. You're fasting in front of people. You're praying in front of people. Your reward's temporal then. You got your reward. If you do it in secret though, your father's going to reward you for it, Right? motives matter. Why are you doing it? You could have two people fasting, one doing it for good reasons, one doing it for whatever recognition. The one doing it for good reasons is going to be rewarded. The one not is not. Does that make sense? So our motives totally matter, not just our works. Why we're doing it really matters. Okay, so on Judgment Day, you're going to see how much of your life's works were done out of love for Jesus, according to his ways and his kingdom, and how much of your life's works are motivated by our protection, reputation, and selfish motives. If our works are done for the latter three things, burnt up. Okay, wood, hay, and stubble. That's how the scripture refers to it. So, now I want to emphasize this, and if you're new here, I... I usually take time in this because I don't want there to be a misconception that we're into legalism because we're not, okay? This is not about legalism, okay? This is about relationship. It's about loving and desiring to please the one who loves you and gave himself for you. His rewards are his expression of his pleasure of how you loved him in this life. His pleasure of how you overcame adversity, Your response in the secret place, in the midst of trials and tribulation. All of this is God's expression for eternity of how much pleasure he has in that. That we have this temporal life to give him a gift of ourselves, our time, right? Our love, even when the things don't make sense. And he gets to reward you eternally for that. We only have 80, 90, whatever years to to live in this context right james chapter 4 so he calls it this life of vapor it's gone in a moment in 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 light of eternity it's like zero time anything divided by infinity zero we have like a brief breath of time to live our lives for the lord completely and to give ourselves for him in love and devotion and adoration in this context Because we're never, ever going to have this opportunity again to worship the Lord, to love the Lord with all of our hearts in the midst of evil. Because when when we're gone and with him in glory, it's all glory, right? You can't help but worship him. But the fact that we have this opportunity in the midst of all this 
to love him anyway. That's what pleases him so much. I believe, honestly, you can give different analogies that this life is really just a test. That's all it is, right? It's just a, it's a test. Pass, fail. <laughs> Did you accept the Lord or not? And then given that, what grade are you going to get? For, like, this is an analogy, of course. Depending on how much you loved him. You know? I said this earlier, but I can't emphasize enough. He gives us mercies every morning. His mercies are new every morning. He paid the ultimate price so we could live with the Father for eternity. How tragic it would be to come before him with nothing. Nothing. I just lived selfishly and didn't even think, right? That would be horrible. The pain of that would be just horrific. And so we want to make sure we, we take this opportunity to love the Lord with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength what we can in this context and like I said, that's going to have eternal ramifications. Think of how, how the opportunity and privilege we have that angels don't have, that other beings don't have, to love the Lord in this context. We're the only ones who have it, and it's an awesome privilege. And that's why if we overcome, he gives us authority because people for eternity will say, yes, that person in the midst of suffering and trials and tribulations loved you no matter what, they're worthy to rule and reign with you forever, right? They're worthy. So it's, it's, if you think of it in that way, then it helps you through in the midst of these trials. We get to worship the Lord in the midst of it. We get to. Okay, so works. Just a couple scriptures. There's a, there's a whole bunch. But judgment based on our works, what we've done. There's just a couple. Matthew 16, 27. For the Son of Man's going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he'll reward each person according to what they've done. Talking about the judgment seat of Christ. The New King James Version actually says according to their works. I, no I notice a lot of newer translations shy away from works. But that's the word. Revelation 22, 12. Uh, Behold, I'm coming soon. This is one of the last scriptures in the entire Bible. And I shall bring my wages and rewards with me to repay and render to each one just what his own actions and his own work merit. Okay, so our works really matter. Now, I could give you a whole bunch of scriptures on that, but I, like, for the sake of time, I'm going to move on and show you some of these other things to refresh our memories. Not only will our works be examined, but our words, thoughts, motives, and secrets as well. And I'm going to give you scriptures on all of these. The first one is our words on Judgment Day. This is from Matthew 12, 34 to 37. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And that's a really interesting revelation if you can get a grasp of that. If you say something and it shocks you, like, I can't believe I just said that, then that's an indication there's something in your heart that came out. Even if it's in the midst of an argument or something. Is you say something weird to your spouse when in the midst of an argument, oh my goodness, there's something I need to deal with. So it actually, that's kind of neat because it gives an opportunity to show us our hearts because we don't always know our hearts. But when we speak something, that's what that's saying. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him and an evil man brings out evil things and the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment... For every empty word they've spoken. Other translations say careless word. Others say idle words. The point is even the careless words. We're making a joke or something. They're going to be accountable for it. Careless words. Okay. 
What's that? Jokes are good, though. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. I mean, like, bad jokes. Like, you know, sorry, yeah. B uh, bad jokes that, sorry, yeah, jokes are good. Bad jokes, like, uh, yeah, like things that are not good or you're making fun of someone. Yeah, sorry. Thank you. For by your words, you'll be acquitted, and by your words, you'll be condemned. Isn't that interesting? By your words, you're going to be acquitted or condemned. So when you're standing before the Lord, he's going to show you all these words, and you're going to be like, oh my goodness, I cannot believe that you're showing everyone my words, and I cannot believe I just said, I said that. Oh, how embarrassing. Right? Your words really matter. Um, thoughts and attitudes of the heart. I'm just kind of speeding through this. Hebrews 4, 12, and 13. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joins and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him whom we must give an account. Talking about your attitudes. Attitudes matter. Oh my goodness, isn't that interesting? I could be serving, like the Bible talks about in 1 Corinthians 13, you could be you know, giving yourself up for the poor and going through the flames and giving everything you have. If you don't do it in love, it's in vain. Because in other words, your attitude. Why are you doing this? Are you doing it begrudgingly? You know, the Bible talks about that in terms of giving, right? First, or 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7, that don't give begrudgingly because God loves a cheerful giver. Don't give out of obligation, right? But give out of your heart of rejoicing that you get to give and have the privilege of giving unto the Lord. Here's a couple more on thoughts and attitudes. Jeremiah 17.10, I, the Lord, search the heart and I examine the mind. To reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. Isn't that interesting? This isn't the only verse. It connects the thoughts of the attitudes of the heart to your deeds, right? To your conduct and your deeds. And I love the NLT for the mind there. It actually uh, translates it, he examines secret motives. Jeremiah eleven twenty. But you, Lord Almighty, who judge righteously and test the heart and the mind... Here's another one about uh, thoughts and attitudes. Revelation 2.23 from the Amplified. And I will strike her children, her proper followers, dead, thoroughly exterminating them. And all the assemblies, talking about Christians now, the churches shall rec excuse me, recognize and understand that I am he who searches minds, the thoughts, feelings, and purposes, and the innermost hearts. And I will give to each of you the reward for what you've done as your work deserves. Isn't that interesting? Again, the thoughts, your hearts are related to your works. The motives behind them, the intentions. But that's why it's so important that we get our hearts healed, isn't it? Right? It's a, the inner healing stuff matters because your heart is going to be examined on the day, and we want a healthy heart that's like pure, right? <laughs> Revelation 3 talks about purifying your heart. Okay. Motives of the heart. So those are thoughts and attitudes. Now there's motives of the heart on Judgment Day. This is from 1 Corinthians 4, 2 to 5. Now it's required that those who've been given a a trust must prove faithful. That's, that's what we're talking about, really, stewarding what God's trusted us with. We have to be faithful with it. I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I don't even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that doesn't make me innocent. It's the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. 
Talking about the judgment seat of Christ. Wait until the Lord comes. He'll bring to light what's hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. Our motives matter. Are you doing it to build your kingdom? Are you building to doing it to build his kingdom? Right? Why? It's good to ask, why am I doing what I'm doing? Is a really good question to ask. And if you don't know, ask the Lord to show you. I'm going to show you a good prayer to pray later. Okay, secrets. <laughs> secrets. Help us, Jesus. Okay. What we've done in secret will be made manifest at the light of his glory at the judgment. Okay, this is Luke 12, uh, verse 2 to 10. Or not 10, sorry, I, have to, I should change that. Verse 2 and 3. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you've said in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you've whispered, talking about words now, in the ear, in the inner rooms, will be proclaimed from the rooftops. What you're whispering. Hey, so-and-so is really a jerk. Whoa. You think that's secret? God's going to show that whisper in eternity when you're being judged in front of everyone. That's what this is saying. I don't like so-and-so's whatever. You think that the person you're saying that to is the only one hearing? You're going to be shocked on judgment day when the Lord reveals that to everyone, and you're going to be so ashamed and embarrassed unless you repent. That's the key. We have a reset button. We get to repent. We get to repent, and that's wiped clean, right? So this isn't like, this isn't like, you know, <laughs> this isn't like something that we're, oh, no, I'm doomed. No. Thank you, Jesus, if we repent, that none of this will be exposed on Judgment Day. Yeah, that's worth a cheer. <laughs> yeah. So don't worry. That, but the key is you need to actually repent, right? You might say, oh, Lord, I'm sorry for doing that, okay? And then the next week you do it and forget about this. That, no, you got to repent and actually change and not do it anymore. That's what repentance is. Romans 2.16, this will take place on the day when God judges people's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. Ecclesiastes 12.14, for God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it's good or evil. <sighs> Help us, Jesus. Okay. <laughs> now, I, I talked about this last time. This, this is honestly, it's, it's not complicated. I'm giving you a bunch of scriptures just to convince you this is the case. But this is what it boils down to. This is the greatest, this is the great commandment. This is what we're all going to be judged on. Did you learn to love? Okay. Mark 12, 30. 30 and, and notice, notice, we talked about thoughts. We talked about the heart. This is all there. Okay. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, your body, your talents, right? The second is like this, love your neighbor as yourself, and there's no commandment greater than these. At all of these points that, right, you can logically conclude you're going to be judged on, did you love the Lord with all your mind? Did you love the Lord with all your strength, with all your heart, right? And all those scriptures I just gave you can be summed up in this. So that's Right? I talked about this in the past with Bob Jones' whole, when he met the Lord and he died in 1975, and that's all the Lord asked. Did you learn to love? It's that simple. Did you learn to love? Did you learn to love me? With all your heart, mind, body, soul, and strength, did you learn to love your neighbors yourself? That's it. 
Okay, so, so this is a quick, easy summary of everything I'm saying, okay? <laughs> if you forget, just remember that. Okay, so what should we do in light of all this? That's a good question. My goodness, okay. Now, I, the last time I, I, uh, when I talked about the fear of the Lord and I talked about this stuff and I said, this is how we actually maintain the fear of the Lord in our lives, is considering the fact everything we do is going to be held accounted for one day. Okay, so that's how we walk on the path of life, just keeping this in mind. That, okay, we're, I'm going to have to give an account someday. So that's important. Now, when I talked about uh, Hebrews 4, when we talked about how the word of God's living and active, sharper than 82, two-edged sword, judging the mind, soul. Okay, you know that one? And how your attitudes at the heart are going to be exposed. Everything's going to be exposed that day. The very next verse says, well, he talks about how Jesus was tempted and everything, and then, right? But right after that, it says, therefore, come boldly, right after that, come boldly for the, f- okay, we have to give an account for everything, our attitudes, our thoughts, and I'm sure the writer was like, okay, these people are going to freak out when they hear that. Therefore, come boldly to the throne of grace that you may receive mercy for your failures and find grace to help you in your time of need. We are not without hope. In other words, right after he talks about how everything's being laid bare, therefore come boldly. So when we mess up, we're human, we mess up. We don't run away from God. We go boldly to his throne room of grace. Ask him for mercy for that failure and ask him for grace to give you empowerment to help you in your time of need. That's how we walk this out. Okay, now, what should we do in light of this? Two options. We have two options. Okay? The first option is this, and this is the best one by far. Allow the Holy Spirit to search you and convict you now, and if, in, if need be, repent and ask for forgiveness of any wrong thoughts, motives, and intents. Okay, that's right, because like I said, asking God to judge us now is awesome, because if he does, then, then we take care of it, we'll deal with it, delete button, then when we stand before him, not going to be an issue, right? So we want him to judge, judge us now, severely and ruthlessly, <laughs> right? We, do, we don't want us, because if we just like rationalize, like, okay, 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 I just not, okay, this is, really won't matter. What, and then you're going to stand for the Lord. Then, if you don't deal with it now, then, then option two, have your motives exposed at judgment day in front of everyone, which will result in losing eternal rewards and suffering loss forever. Those are your options. Deal with it now or deal with it then. It's not going away. Way better to deal with it now. Okay. So how do we do option one? Uh, We're going to (laughs) be talking about that. But just to give you, okay. Holy Spirit can reveal things to you through reading or listening to Scripture preaching and teachings, that's straight from Hebrews 4.12, the one I showed you, that the word of God is what judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart, the word of God. So you expose yourself to the word, say during one of these sermons, maybe you're like, oh man, I, I was gossiping the other day. Oh, that's the Holy Ghost saying, hey, you were gossiping the other day. Now you can repent of that. Now you're not going to have to deal with it on judgment day, right? So, uh, so listening to the word, reading the scripture, listening to preaching, all that stuff is, can the, gives the Holy Spirit an opportunity to speak to you through it, and the word of God will judge the thoughts and attitudes of your heart. Then you can repent of them. And, by, and the Holy Spirit can do this by speaking to you personally. 
David's prayer is awesome in Psalm 139. Search my heart, O God. Test my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive, wicked, or hurtful thing within me. And lead me into the way of everlasting. That's why David was a man of, after God's own heart. You know in Acts 13, 30, 22, where it says, this is the assessment of David's life. Paul's preaching. He says, David is a man after my own heart because he did everything according to my will. He did everything I asked him to do. That's how... That's God's judgment. That's why he was a man after God's own heart. And David prayed these kind of prayers, didn't he? That's the one I just said. Search my heart, O God. Know my thoughts. Everything we've been talking about. And show me if there's any wickedness within me so I can deal with it and get on with life and lead me to the way of everlasting. So all that to say, he can speak to you personally as well. And just pray that regularly. Now, I like this prayer. I got this from Mike Bickle because after, after that encounter I told you about earlier where he met the Lord, he's like, I don't want that to happen. This is his regular prayer in life. What do I still lack? Shock me now. Don't shock me then. On judgment day. Now, what do I still lack? What's that from? If you guys remember, we talked about this in the past. Matthew 19, 20. That's a rich young ruler. Good teacher. What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus is like, okay, you know, love your father and mother. He lists six of the Ten Commandments, and the rich young ruler is like, I've done that since I was a kid. What do I still lack was his question. He knew that there's still something he lacked to have eternal life. And that's when Jesus said, sell all you have, give to the poor, come follow me, and he couldn't do it. What do I still lack? That's a good question. Ask the Lord that. What is it that I need to do or change in my life Shock me now, don't shock me then. Judge me severely and correct me ruthlessly so I can serve you more perfectly and walk in your truth, should be our prayer. So this is, this is another, and I'm giving this as a practical prayer we can pray. I love this, Psalm 19. This is, this is from David. Okay, so the first part, verses 9 through 14 Fear, the fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. We've talked about this, right? The fear of the Lord's good. And other versions say it's clean. Talking about forever, talking about eternity, okay? So the fear of the Lord is a key. Satan, when he was in heaven and he was part of the worship team, one of the archangels or whatever, didn't lack the fear of the Lord, didn't endure forever, did he? Adam and Eve, didn't lack, they lacked the fear of the Lord. They sinned, didn't endure forever. Anything we do outside the fear of the Lord, right, is not pure. It doesn't endure forever. So you want to stay on the path of life? The fear of the Lord. We're talking about the judgment seat of Christ. The decrees, talking about the word of God now, this is like I said from Hebrews 4, chapter two, uh, verse 12, the word of God, the decrees of the Lord are firm and, they are, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold. They're much more pure gold. They're sweeter than honey, and the honey from the honeycomb. Get this, verse 11. By them your servants warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Talking about eternal rewards. So the word of God, I said this already, but the word of God warns you and tells you and shows you if you're open to the Holy Spirit convicting you, this is the way, walk in it. You're, you're going, getting off track, right? Okay, now this is a great prayer, verse 12. I recommend we all pray this regularly. But who can discern our own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. 
Right? We talked about that. Our hidden stuff's going to be revealed and judged. Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins, the ones I know about. May they not rule over me. Then I'll be blameless and innocent of great transgression. May the words of my mouth, talked about how we're being judged on words, and the meditation of my heart, right? All those things are getting judged on. Be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Why not pray this regularly? Why not? God, forgive my hidden faults. Reveal to me, right? Keep me from willful sins. May my words and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O rock, my redeemer. Okay. So I asked the question, what should we do in light of all this? I just gave you prayer we can pray, asking the Holy Spirit to convict us, reading the word, allowing him to show us if there's something that... This is an exhortation from Paul. I love this. He talks about the race we're in. Now, we're not talking about racing and comparing to others because that's unwise, the Bible says. Because like I said, we don't know what talents they've been given. This is, but this is from 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27. Don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but the one person gets the prize? So run to win. That's his exhortation. Run to win the prize. Eternal rewards. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that'll fade away, talking about the temporal, but we do it for an eternal prize that'll last forever. So I run with purpose in every single step. I run with purpose. I'm not just shadow boxing. I'm not just bouncing around like Forrest Gump and, oh, look, you know, in life. No, I am, I have aim. Other versions say I, I with aim, with purpose. In every single step, I'm not just shadow boxing. I'm disciplining my body like an athlete, just like an athlete. Training it to do what I should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I might myself be disqualified. I myself. This is Paul the Apostle talking. He's not taking for granted, right, that he's going to bear, he's going to be okay with the Lord. He's saying, I'm, I'm, do, I'm doing this with purpose in every single step, lest I be disqualified after preaching, after writing two-thirds of the New Testament. Okay, so if Paul... <laughs> said, exhorted us to do this, and he said, I do this myself, examining myself every step, we should be doing this as well. So that's the point. We are to run in order to win. Okay, this takes discipline. He, he, he talked about an Olympic athlete. This takes discipline. You guys probably have heard of athletes, what they do to train for the Olympics. It's crazy. This is Paul saying, that's what we should be doing in our life. <laughs> for the Lord, though. Not for, like, sports. Self-control. This takes discipline. Self-control and definite purpose in every step. Our goal. This is our main goal. This should be our main goal in life. is to be well-pleasing to Jesus in everything we do. And that's right from 2 Corinthians 5.9, if you remember. So we make it our goal, our aim, to please him whether we're at home in the body or away from him. Right after he talks about the judgment seat of Christ. Pleasing the Lord in everything we do is our goal. Okay. So, how do we live well-pleasing to Jesus? Live your life according to God's will as revealed in Scripture and spoken to you personally by the Holy Spirit. We're going to be talking about this way more detail in the weeks to come. Find out how the Lord wants you to treat others, what to pursue, how to spend your time, how to influence others for eternity, how to advance his kingdom, etc., etc. Essentially, and this is the whole point of this series, living your life for eternity is the bottom line. 
living your life for, from an eternal perspective, not a temporal perspective. Okay, that's the bottom line. Ha. Huh. So on that note, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Why don't we pray? We'll just ask the Lord. We'll ask the Lord to reveal our hearts. Why not? To convict us, if need be. And it's his mercy to do so. Okay? So it's just good to take that opportunity to convict us. And then, you know, if he shows something to you, or if he has been while I've been speaking, then just repent. It's that easy. So, Father, we just thank you so much for your mercy. We thank you that you want us to end well. We thank you that you've given us so many scriptures that show us the way of life so we don't have to stand before you one day with regret, but that we get to stand before you with confidence, knowing that your mercy for us is to reveal what it is you expect so that we can live a life well-pleasing to you. So, Father, I just pray, as David prayed in Psalm 19, verse 12 through 14, Lord, we ask you to forgive our hidden faults. We ask you to keep us all from willful sins. May they not rule over us. Thank you that then we'll be blameless and innocent of great transgression. May the words of our mouths and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Search us and know our hearts. Test our anxious thoughts. See if there's any wicked or hurtful way in us. Lead us into the way of everlasting. So Lord, we just give you this opportunity right now to reveal those things to us that, that we may need to correct in our lives. We just wait for you, Lord. Oh. We just ask you, Holy Spirit, to reveal those things to us Now, if the Lord, ha, if the Lord's showing you something, like I said, this is the Holy. This Holy Spirit is is it's His mercy, and so I I just want to recommend that you don't rationalize it. You know, confession is confessing that it's sin. Right? It's easy to rationalize and say, "Oh well, you know." That person deserved it or um, whatever. I have a bad upbringing and so it's, it's not my fault or whatever, right? We, we tend to rationalize sin. But God promises in 1 John 1, 9 that if we confess our sin, confess, that means actually admitting that it's sin, he will cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So Lord, I just ask as you're revealing things to us, that you enable us just to confess those things, Father. Whether it's just to you personally or, if, you know, sometimes the Lord will lead you to confess to others. That's a good thing. And, uh, Lord, we just ask for the grace to help us not rationalize, but to call sin, sin, and repent of it and turn away. We thank you for your mercy in that, Lord. And we just come boldly to your throne of grace, and ask for mercy for these things that you're revealing to us. Mercy for our failures. And Lord, we're asking you for grace to help us overcome these things in our time of need. We thank you, Lord, that we, come, we can come boldly because of Jesus and what he did on the cross. 
And we thank you for that your mercy triumphs over judgment. And so we just ask for the mercy of the cross in these areas that you're revealing to us. Help us to walk the way of life and that we live a life well-pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow, amen. So if you'd like, uh, we'd like to give you the opportunity to receive ministry, if you like. Now, this can be anything. If the Lord's revealed to you something and you want prayer for it to overcome something or whatever, we'd love to pray for you. Or if it's just anything, like healing or uh, anything, we just want to give the opportunity. But you're also welcome to just sit in the pews and allow the Lord to keep... Uh, you know, examining your heart if he's doing a work in you, that's great. If you want to soak, you want to just sit there in, in the presence of the Lord, feel free. The rest of you, we have a time of fellowship after the service in the, in the hall. Just to your, if you go out to your left, we have coffee and snacks and stuff. So it's a great time of fellowship if you want to hang out. The rest of you, God bless you. Have an awesome week. And uh, we hope that, to see you next week. In Jesus' name.